how do you shift the brain yeah. away from what it is that you cannot break that cycle? Yeah. Now, if you stimulate the tongue, it seems, you know, people say, why the tongue? I mean, yeah. other bodies can work in my animal research, which we can get to later, or people can look it up. I just coincidentally found that the tongue and the ear, if you electrically stimulate these, um, drove some of the strongest changes in the brain. So that's why I was interested to come yeah. into the company yeah. because of that. Hello and welcome back to the Outdoing Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida and I'm your host. Um, and today I'm especially excited to uh, present you uh, the owner of the voice you just heard. Um, uh, we are dealing with Dr. Hubert Lim, Chief Scientific Officer of Neuromod, the Linear Company. And I've been having wanting to have someone from the company on for a long while. Um, and it's super interesting. And it, I'm very pleased to finally have Dr. Hubert Lim on the podcast. Um, a very, very interesting discussion about the scientific aspects of tinnitus, but not only about the company Neuromod and the Linear device, but um, a very interesting and fascinating discussion on hearing research, hearing restoration research, and um, his scientific discoveries as a whole. Um, a quick word to our sponsors, and we'll be right in the interview with Dr. Hubert Lim from Neuromod. Before we get into the episode, a quick word to our sponsor. Actually, we don't really have a sponsor. Well, I myself am the sponsor of this podcast. See, I've been working to make this podcast work for about two years now, been um, releasing episodes so you guys can get the most from what I do as a tinnitus coach, helping people worldwide to live their best life despite tinnitus. And today, in my own words, my own personal ad, for our new tinnitus management platform. You can access the community management platform at www.mytinnitus.club and we have a fantastic management platform where you can access weekly videos all around the topic of managing tinnitus, um, tinnitus and cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, sleeping better with tinnitus, but you can also directly access from the membership platform events, the live events and the community live coaching sessions that we hold every few days. Another very great feature is that you have the ability to contact other members and if you set your settings uh, you can even allow other people to see whether they are near you. So you can meet up with people from your area with tinnitus and who knows maybe you're even going to make a few friends. So if you want to participate in our new tinnitus management platform go to www.mytinnitus.club you can get access for three days for free um, check out all the different topics, check out all the different possibilities to take online courses and to finally start living your best life despite tinnitus. Thank you very much for supporting the project and I'll see you there very soon. Hello and welcome to the Outering Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida and I'm your host. This podcast is all about the tinnitus science and what you can do to live a better life despite the ringing. Well, welcome back everyone to the Outering Tinnitus podcast. Today I'm especially excited. I think I've been waiting a very long time to have um, someone here from... Uh, the uh, uh, one of the very big uh, companies that are doing a lot in tinnitus research. And uh, today we have on the podcast um, uh, Hubert Lim from Neuromod. So 
thanks very much for being here, Hubert. Welcome to the show. And um, maybe, I mean, probably most of the listeners know who you are and probably the most know what uh, your research and your product is about, but uh, maybe give yourself a little bit of an uh, introduction. Sure. And uh, thank you, Frida, for having me on your podcast. Uh, you know, it's an honor to always uh, be on these uh, opportunities to share. Uh, the different research going on in my lab. And of course, as you mentioned, the company Neuromod Devices. <clears throat> so uh, I'm actually in Minneapolis right now, uh, early in the morning at uh, 7, 17 a.m. here, <laughs> quite early. Uh, I'm a professor at uh, University of Minnesota in the Department of Otolaryngology. So that's ear, nose, throat clinic, and also in biomedical engineering. Um, I got here in 2009 uh, and uh, has, have done quite a bit of uh, research in hearing technologies like uh, cochlear implants, uh, central uh, brain stimulation devices for hearing restoration, uh, but also, uh, as, as you all know here, uh, tinnitus treatments uh, using uh, different uh, neural uh, medical devices for stimulating the nervous system invasively, but also non-invasively. And the non-invasive part uh, is using electrical stimulation of the body, uh, as, as you know from the company, uh, the tongue, uh, but also other regions like the neck, the ear uh, and the face regions. Uh, so a lot of my research here has focused on uh, pushing forward these kinds of uh, novel technologies, uh, both non-invasively and invasively. A uh, little bit background, uh, I did my PhD at University of Michigan, and that's where I got started in this hearing technology field. But I actually uh, lived in Germany, in Hanover, uh, Germany wow. for uh, about four years uh, off and on uh, doing my postdoctoral research and it's amazing. Uh, and, see, yeah. see that my that my that my 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 grandparents are from a very uh, close village. You might even know it, Celle. It's called it's oh. called C E L L E. Probably it's okay. like half an hour from Hanover to the north. I so, will have to look that up. You know, yeah, uh, probably. It, it, it's, it's got all these beautiful old houses from the 14th and 15th centuries. I'm probably I'm sure you must have seen it or even been there at some point because it's very very famous in that area. But anyway, oh, sure. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, I, I'm sure I had had to have been there because my colleagues there would have taken me around to all the beautiful places. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I was there for four years um, and uh, at Hanover Medical School, they're one of the leading hearing technology places yes. in Germany. Uh, yes. And my postdoc mentor, uh, Thomas Lennartz, uh, and a few others there at, at the Neurosurgery Institute also, Dr. Majid Sami and Amir Sami, I, I worked with quite a bit. Uh, so it was a great opportunity to see the clinical side of implementation because in my graduate times, I was more engineering and, and uh, mm. animal physiology mm. research experiments. And there mm. I was able to really build the clinical side. Uh, mein Deutsch is nicht gut, so we could stay in uh, uh, English. <laughs> awesome, but that's that's good enough. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you could still order a beer and some sauerkraut in German. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. Back then, a lot of Joey's Pizza, you know, in, in German. So that oh, was yeah. now now Domino's, as you know. Um, but yeah, I, I was there and had a great experience. Really built um, uh, in, interact uh, interactive community across the world because of my nice. experiences there, and then and I came to Minnesota afterwards. Awesome. That sounds like a, a big, a big, a, a big traveling in the name of hearing and tinnitus research you did there already. So um, I think uh, as many others who have already interviewed you first and foremost, um, a big thank you from the whole community, because I mean, there's a lot of areas that researchers or people in general could devote their life to. And we want to give it a special, a, a big thanks for the ones who devote their life and time in studying and researching on hearing disabilities and abilities, I guess, because both goes together when the ability leaves the disability arrives and with that uh, partly also tinnitus so and um, 
maybe you have a little bit of a personal background story of how you got into tinnitus. Why, why, why were you interested in the topic of tinnitus? Was there anything in particular that, that got you interested? Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I myself, um, you know, I, I do have a little subtle tinnitus, but it's not, okay. um, it's not something that's bothersome for me. So that, that wasn't the reason uh, for me entering the field, though I, I do, um, you know, depending on stress and other factors, I mean, it can be worse, especially mm -hmm. my uh, one of my ears. Uh, but the, the main reason actually was I, I did start off as a tinnitus researcher. And, and for your audience, I apologize if you like the word tinnitus or tinnitus. I, I, I say tinnitus here, um, just what I'm more used to. Um, what happened was in uh, my PhD you know, time at University of Michigan, I was developing a new uh, brain stimulation device for hearing. Uh, it, it's actually like a cochlear implant. If your audience is aware, you know, it's these devices that um, have electrodes and delivers electrical current. It's an implant and it goes into the cochlear region of your inner ear. Mm -hmm. uh, but this device was um, to try to find ways to help those who can't sufficiently benefit from cochlear implants by implanting in a higher brain structure called the inferior colliculus. It's the midbrain of your brain uh, and the auditory portion of that. And I was developing a cochlear implant-like device for stimulating that region for deafness. And I was fortunate because I, I, develop, I developed technology with a company called Cochlear Limited, and then uh, uh, did some uh, encouraging animal research and technology development. Uh, and uh, oh, sorry, I apologize, uh, I was actually working on a different neural technology, and then I was able to connect with Cochlear Limited through Thomas Leonard's. And that's where I was able to basically come to Germany where we were able to then develop that technology. Now, what happened was we were trying to restore hearing um, in these individuals that were being implanted with the device. And um, although we tried to get this device properly into this inferior colliculus region, um, in some occasions, the device was uh, not fully in that region. It was more in these outer regions um, of the midbrain, which are known to be involved with um, multimodal processing and, and tactile somatosensory types of uh, feelings and, and, and um, information. Mm -hmm. And so we stimulate those sites and people would say, oh, we have these kind of tingly sensations called paresthesia uh, in my arm or my face or my tongue or my body. Uh, it doesn't hurt. It's just more kind of sensations. Mm -hmm. um, but what was interesting was in two of the patients, particularly uh, who had tinnitus, uh, we could modulate their tinnitus and even one of them actually reduce it down. And so this, this is what triggered me. I said, oh my goodness, you know, it's interesting. I mean, yes, we were trying to do hearing restoration, but we were able to actually modulate tinnitus. And this was my first aha moment while I was in Germany that there could be some really exciting opportunities for something that was not well. Um, there weren't many opportunities to treat tinnitus at the time either. And so, uh, you know, of course that triggered my interest into that field. So that's really how I, I, I came to be interested in uh, tinnitus treatments. Wow, that's amazing. And um uh, for some reason, also a bit, um, a bit uh, random, right? One might even say, right? You, you had success with a device and through that success, you realized that the scope of application might be much broader than what you had originally intended. And if you don't mind me asking, I mean, yes, this is a podcast about tinnitus, but since I am deaf on one ear as well, um, it, 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 it's, it, it's a super interesting thing for me. It, did you implant that device for people who uh, went 
deaf or children who who were born deaf or or um, is it something because I know that uh, that uh, relearning hearing with a cochlear implant is not as difficult if you've only lost the hearing recently and it gets much more difficult the longer you haven't heard properly. So so what kind of what kind of stimulation was that device actually doing if you if you don't mind? Yeah saying? yeah. <clears throat> so there's actually a long history of uh, brain implants for hearing. It, it goes back to 1979 wow. uh, was when the first devices, <clears throat> and you can imagine, you know, brain, brain surgery, though we have come a long ways. I mean, mm. uh, there's many uh, sophisticated surgical techniques, um, technology, imaging, robotic surgery that are, are all enabling a safer surgery. It's still risk, but, you know, safer than it was before. Sure. So neurotechnologies are coming about. However, you do need to provide um, sufficient uh, benefit to risk ratio. You need to show that uh, the risk that these individuals are taking are outweighed by enough benefit for them. Yeah. And so the first um, individuals to get these, although we would like more, you know, broader population are those who have to undergo surgery anyhow. So these individuals have what's called neurofibromatosis type two, mm -hmm. NF2, mm -hmm. and it's a, a, a disorder a condition, brain condition where they develop tumors along their auditory vestibular nerves. Mm -hmm. uh, and these tumors develop, and as a result, they have to be removed. And when you remove them, uh, the facial nerve is there, the vestibular and the auditory nerve, um, and you have to try to preserve the facial nerve, but also the auditory and vestibular as much as you can. Mm -hmm. But for many individuals who have this, um, they do become deaf. So they mm -hmm. were hearing in their life, and due to this uh, tumor, uh, mm -hmm. their hearing, of course, becomes removed. And, but since the surgery, you're already opening up, you know, the exposure in the same surgical setting, you can put the device in. So this is, these are the patients that uh, we had initially targeted with this device. And it wasn't just our technology at the time. There was already uh, another device called the, the brainstem implant. We were stimulating in the midbrain. The brainstem implant was what had been uh, used since 1979. And our device, the midbrain implant, that had come about in 2000. Uh, as another alternative to try to uh, stimulate more effectively in the auditory pathway. So these are the individuals that actually get the device. Now in the future, uh, we hope that if the, the, the performance is high enough, then even without tumor removal surgery, these individuals could actually get the device um, solely for the, for the device for hearing restoration. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I think it's wonderful that there are so many different areas that Uh, you can focus on and make a and make a difference, right? And and uh, for everyone listening, um, you, you might see already now that the scope of of research and uh, the things that uh, uh, you, uh, Dr. Lim, are involved in are uh, is is much broader than just um, uh, just uh, the, the the product that we all know as as Linear uh, and from the company Neuromod. I got that right, right? Eh? <laughs> correct, correct, Linear. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there we go, and. Um, If you don't mind me asking, I mean, this is already getting into the into the into the topic now. But in order for people to understand, if we talk about the product and the company, um, it, it, this is a personal interest. How does it differ? For example, we hear a lot about um, a, a, a stimulation of the brain, for example, to treat also depression, PTSD, etc., and so on and so forth, and to really. To really look into that is that is that similar could you maybe just a little bit explain where you guys come from from that device that you just uh, explained right now uh, onto the device that you guys use in order to really treat individuals with bothersome tinnitus sure uh, and maybe just a little bit of, uh, more background so yeah. 
when you think of neuromodulation, this word, um, it, it's a very broad uh, word that exactly. people use in so many different ways. I mean, you yeah. can yeah. Uh, look at traditional neuromodulation where people were putting electrodes, for example, into your uh, deep brain structures for individuals who have Parkinson's tremors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, one of the you know fathers of this field, Dr. Alim Benavid, you know, he had done in France uh, some electrodes uh, trying to find where the regions are in the brain where you could then lesion to remove the tremors. And through that process, he electrically stimulated some brain regions and found that you could suppress mm-hmm. um, these tremors. And this is in a way neuromodulating neural activity to mm-hmm. then have a clinical benefit. So this is neuromodulation. Right. And then also spinal cord, you know, if you, if you have some pain, people will stimulate electrically and modulate the activity there, the neural pathway to reduce pain. And so this is neuromodulation. However, if you really think about it, neuromodulation is anything in a way, if you want to be very broad, that's modulating the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at also sound. Sound is coming through the ears and it's activating your nerve. This is a form of neuromodulation. And mm-hmm. even now, as you know, um, may know, there's companies like GSK and Google. You know, they've invested quite a bit in a company called Galvani. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to now um, stimulate peripheral nerves to alter um, uh, end organ physiology like drugs do. And this is neuromodulation and even drugs could be considered neuromodulation. So, you know, I, I want to just give a framework that neuromodulation is a right. big word, right. um, but it depends on, you know, the, the perspective of the condition and how you want to frame it. Now right. for us, uh, where we are different uh, in this sense is that we are doing neuromodulation as well. We're doing neuromodulation with sound stimulation, you could think of it, as I said, in a broad term, mm-hmm. we're also doing neuromodulation from electrically stimulating, right, the tongue that mm-hmm. can activate the trigeminal nerve and, and other nerves potentially around there, but we are modulating that pathway into the brain. Now, the difference is, is that we're using two inputs with neuromodulation that you see for Parkinson's, tremors, pain, uh, even cochlear implants, even though they call it more of a neuroprosthesis, uh, it's still neuromodulation. That's, you know, unimodal. It's one input. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we're actually combining two inputs and we're stimulating them in a simultaneous or, you know, in, in a parallel way uh, to then converge activity. And we can go into the mechanism of action, uh, some things that we could talk about, uh, but that's, that's, that's the key difference is we're using two inputs. Okay. Wow. That is a very big, uh, a big thing to, to, to grasp, so to say. And I guess um, for the listeners, it would be interesting to maybe hear, because, I mean, you, you guys must be aware, and you, I'm, I'm sure you are aware that um, uh, there is a controversy around the method around, out there. And um, I mean, what, what, do I, what, what do you most recommend the treatment for? What's the group of people that you most recommend or that, it, that you cannot recommend uh, to go for the treatment too because of course you want to also uh, generate high chances of success and sometimes maybe it it might be i heard that for example in 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 other areas of treating tinnitus might be very much related to how far your hearing loss has already progressed whether the um, uh, application of a certain technique is going to be successful or not so what do you say to the people what would you from a from a researcher's point of perspective um, say Sure. Uh, And this is something that uh, not only our company, but the tinnitus community, as you know, has been quite interested in 
uh, Tinnitus Research Initiative, as you know, with Dr. Bertolt Lenguth and, and your yep. other colleagues that you've been yep. in interactions with, is yep. really subtyping, subgrouping. Uh, and so for our research, um, you know, we have these several studies. Uh, Tent A1 was the first large one, 326 individuals. And then a, a more recent one, 191 individuals. Uh, we did uh, look at a lot of this data to find if there were different subgroups that are benefiting. And for your audience here, you know, obviously our device, many of you already know, but it's a, it's a device that goes on the tongue uh, and it provides electrical stimulation. And then we present sound uh, in, in a, a simultaneous way to then drive changes, what we call plasticity, neuroplasticity in the brain. Uh, and we can go into the mechanism a little bit later. Uh, but we looked at many different subgroups, you know, those who have hearing loss, those who have minimal hearing loss, those who have sound sensitivity, uh, different age groups. So I will say with the age, we limited the age limit to five, uh, uh, sorry, not the age limit, the uh, tinnitus duration. We limited it to five years uh, in the first study and then up to 10 years. So we're, we're limited beyond, you know, what, what happens afterwards. And we can get into that because we have some real world data, you know, interesting data. Um, and so we looked also at uh, tonal tinnitus, noise-like tinnitus, many different uh, subgroups, and we didn't see anything uh, noticeable in terms of subgroups that benefited or not. Now, of course, we have to be a little bit careful because those subgroups are not pre-specified. When you run a clinical trial, you want to say what you're going to do and then show what it is that you did is meaningful. And so we didn't pre-specify all these subgroups. So you have to be a little bit cautious, but with the analyses we did, there's nothing major noticeable except there is one thing uh, that actually did show up, which is that uh, individuals that had more hypersensitivity to sounds, uh, particularly it was 500 Hertz that we used to see how sensitive they are. Uh, we did find uh, uh, more improvements in yeah. these tinnitus symptoms outcomes like tinnitus okay. handicap inventory um, with those who had more hypersensitivity. So this is something I'm working on to uh, publish, okay. but that's one thing that we did, we did observe Okay. Uh, but other than that, there wasn't anything so noticeable. We, we, we do believe that it's generally working for the population. Okay, that's, that, is, uh, that, is, that is very good to hear because, um, I mean, and, and you're probably confronted with this as well. And I think my answer to that was because a few people asked me, what would you say about, and we know that, you know, when we go to the online tinnitus communities, um, especially the ones, if we're not maybe talking about my community, where I really try to focus on the positive aspects of tinnitus management and, and what other people who really do have more public channels also focus on. Um, but if we do go to the more traditional tinnitus communities, we do see a lot of negative feedback. We do see a lot of negative things. So please don't be scared by my questions when I ask you, guys, oh, no problem. What, do you yeah. what do you do about the negative feedback? you know, because there is a lot of negative, negative feedback. There are a lot of negative questions out there uh, on, um, on, on, especially the, the efficacy of the treatment. And I would just want to, you know, um, I always say people, and I encourage to them, you know what you, you must with tinnitus is so difficult because there are so many different players at hand mm -hmm. that all come together when, it, when, when you have to decide what kind of methodology is the right one for you. So, you know, I just want to, I just want to pinpoint maybe a little bit more. That's why I, I persistently ask you for this is how can we, how can we go about that? How can we, how can we try and convince people that they might want to try an alternative method? And how do we say, okay, um, this is why it could potentially work for that person. And it's more difficult to work for another person. 
This is a very good question. And, and as, a, as a scientist researcher at University of Minnesota, uh, and, and obviously with my collaborators across the world, uh, this is an yeah. important question. Uh, and it's not only for tinnitus field, it's for yeah. many fields, right? So pain yeah. field, uh, they also you know, face this, other kinds of uh, neurological and psychiatric disorders and situations. This is always a big question. Yeah. And what we're realizing uh, is that uh, you know, we're, we're all an individual and we mm. all have different makeup of the brain patterns that are evolving over time. Mm. And so there's a lot of questions as to, you know, which, which brain patterns, which individuals will benefit from which treatments. Mm. Uh, mm. For our company and myself, um, I don't believe that there's a one size fits all. Like we, we as a company are not trying to say that this treatment is going to work for everyone. No, sure. Uh, and, and we would be naive to think so, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. and, and this is the thing. However, yeah. we want to work to do continuous research. And, and also now that the device is available in Europe, at least, and hopefully uh, in the US, we have a unique opportunity to be able mm. to really look at the data and get mm. real world data now. This is where it's gonna help us to really understand, you know, which individuals are benefiting more than others, which individuals, even like we talked about, we mentioned briefly, you know, tinnitus duration. There could be, cause we're trying to cause plasticity. Maybe there's, you know, a certain window of when this plasticity becomes more difficult to reverse, right? Mm, and we may mm, learn that. Uh, mm. There may be individuals, like I was mentioning, that might have a greater sensitivity to sounds, which yeah. may mean that their brain is more adaptive. That's how the sensitivity comes about potentially. Right. So maybe this is the link where those who have uh, the ability for their brain to be adapted more, you know, maybe those are the individuals. For example, maybe you play sounds. So we talk about hyperacusive type of, of, of uh, yeah? Yes. Or, so I, I yeah. uh, you know, uh, we, we do say in our study hyperacusis, but I, I want to yeah. be cautious there because we didn't do all the battery of tests, um, mm. you know, to, to confirm it is truly hyperacusis in the mm. traditional way it's supposed right. to. Uh, so right. that's why I say uh, sound sensitivity, because we we more right. measured how sensitive they were to sounds. And, right. and, and we had that measure. So I, I will say we do say hyperacusis in the protocol paper, but just a, um, just a clarification that I would call it more hypersensitivity to sounds. It's, it's also very difficult, right? To Because traditional hyperacusis and really people who have in the traditional sense, maybe with tinnitus also experience some degree of hearing loss where we know that the dynamic range of the ear just uh, is very much getting limited and therefore the person naturally being, unfortunately, what people always say to me, hey, but you have a hearing aid and you're deaf on one ear why would this be too loud for you i'm like that's exactly why that's that's exactly, that's exactly why, why yeah. because your dynamic yes. range leaves as well you can't stand as much sounds anymore and people are exactly like, why, why don't you just take your hearing aid out i'm like that's not how it works that's not how it works like that it's much more complicated than that and that's of course sometimes difficult for people to understand when you're not having one of these old grandpa people fleshy right. kind of massive hearing aids but you have a hearing loss that is mostly in the higher frequencies that is a little bit more difficult to tackle with your audiologist together. And yeah, um, very, very interesting. Uh, thank you very much for that. I wanted to um, ask you one more follow-up question, um, especially on the um, uh, treatment itself. So um, you probably uh, see a lot of um, volatility in people's tinnitus within the Uh, first, um, first uh, time of the trial. So, what what would you do? Would you tell people how to, well, either encourage or discourage them from using the solution? Is it very normal that tinnitus fluctuates a lot during the process, and uh, therefore, when people do experience, either of course, it's very 
positive if your tinnitus goes down to um, a baseline level or to a much lower level. But of course, probably, especially with stimulation, we'll probably also see people who have an increase in their tinnitus, right? So I, I just wanted to ask you, how do you, how do you go about that? Because the, the, the impact, the emotional impact that we see, right, when something modifies people's tinnitus mm -hmm. is a very difficult one to deal with, right? And that's probably very much decoupled from the actual physical analysis of the efficacy of the treatment, because it's a very emotional level that we're dealing with. So just as a, as a follow-up question, how do you guys manage that? Yeah, that's another good question. And just maybe a little bit of background too. So we've ran um, two large studies, as you know, the 10A1 and 10A2. Yes. And in the 10A1, 326 individuals, 191 and 10A2. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, not, not in a majority, but you know, in, in a, hand, a good, good number of individuals, um, we did see within the early weeks of treatment um, that the tinnitus could change, right? Mm -hmm. uh, individuals, yeah. you know, said that it increased. And I think from your audience, you'll see in the chats, you know, and even going to the real world data, uh, some individuals will say that the tinnitus is increasing. The yeah. tinnitus is changing, yeah. that uh, some of the tones that they had shifted yeah. or even from the ear, it shifted. Yeah. Now for me, I feel that that's a positive thing because it means that something is Something's changing. Yeah. Something's happening. So I, I think yeah. that's quite positive. Now, to your point, I mean, it could be a little bit you know, nervous, right? Because you're, you're changing it. It's increasing potentially. I will say that um, in majority, most of the individuals that continue with the protocol, right? Uh, in our studies, uh, they did do well. And what I mean by well is that uh, we had two thirds of individuals that we asked, did you feel you benefit from the treatment, uh, right? That they said, yes. And even in our most recent study, we had nearly uh, in the high 80 percentage of individuals, when we asked them, would you recommend it to someone? Uh, they said yes, right? So what it tells you is that even though there was this kind of period where there is changing, sticking with it, you know, the most of the individuals uh, recovered from that and, and actually benefited from the treatment. Now, we still have to be cautious. There are individuals where we, we are closely tracking them and the clinicians who are providing this treatment also need to uh, provide uh, monitoring that, you know, there may be a handful of individuals where uh, it is not right for them. And at that point, they need to decide over those few weeks if they continue. But this is something that that individual will discuss. We're not a you know perfect treatment uh, and there's always sure. going to be some risk. But, sure. you know, for, for the most part, uh, everyone who has stuck with it, uh, these things do uh, adapt and, and modulate back down. Right. And now another interesting question, not even saying that you would um, go against or, or put the two treatments next to each other. But if you obviously read the scientific literature and the reviews that uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is still being one of the most effective in terms of um, uh, tinnitus severity or, or handicap reduction. Um, could you see in the future that you really administer the two protocols? For example, let's say someone who does a tinnitus related CBT protocol um, has also a lot less difficulty in dealing with temporary increases caused by your treatment, which later um, might set the level even lower or might even might produce a much better outcome. So not to, not to say that it might be a competitive landscape because probably both treatments will be around and an additional option for people who are not benefiting from your treatment, but how would you see the compatibility or where would you feel that in the future, there might be other options or, or combination of treatments that might, really leverage the benefit that your treatment offers? 
We'll be right back to the episode in just a few moments. I want to give out another shout to our Tinnitus membership online community. At www.mytinnitus.club, you can access a vast catalog of resources that will help you to manage your tinnitus the best way possible. You can find resources on tinnitus management, tinnitus for sleep, tinnitus and stress, tinnitus and the best mindset that you should be in in order to tackle tinnitus related issues and you can access all that content uh, get to know new members of the community join our exclusive club for as little as 14.99 per month you support the cause of what i do and you get exclusive access to so many different things that will help you to get a completely new approach to your tinnitus so i will see you all at www.mytinnitus.club and now let's get back into the episode yeah, so I, I'm actually a big fan, uh, a big proponent, supporter of uh, trying uh, multiple things. Yeah. Because back to your previous question, uh, we are individuals. And right. uh, even though we would like to uh, assume that we can all have the same kind of brain circuitry and plasticity yeah. effects, uh, we're knowing. I mean, look at just COVID, right? How different of effect it had so many across different people with something that we think is, is all happening through the same mechanism and even how we respond. Uh, so I do think that people should try multiple techniques, multiple options. Yes. And to your point about cognitive behavioral therapy, um, I, I think it actually has a lot of parallels. And, and let me explain why. Mm, so when yes. you think about cognitive behavioral therapy, um, a lot of it is really over time, consciously, right? And through um, some mental effort, uh, disassociating, right? And moving your awareness away from your tinnitus, but also understanding and being more informed about what tinnitus is and how you can change your habits and your lifestyle and so forth. But the ultimate goal is to reduce your awareness, your uh, bothersome feelings and emotions about it, right? Yes. Now it takes time. This is a um, mental cognitive learning process and like we know about a lot of habits and learning, you know, this is, can take months. This can take months, sure. months to happen sure. with our approach. Um, and, and I'll go and get into the mechanism. I don't want to go too much into the details here, but what I believe is happening, right. And in our company, also many people in the company is that we are doing a sort of shifting of your awareness away from the tinnitus. And the reason this is possible dates back over a century, right? When you think about uh, and, and I'll get into this here and let me know if it gets too detailed for your audience. But, Please. you know, there was something everyone knows, the Pavlonian dog, the Pav Pavlov's dog. And this dog uh, was hungry. This dog wanted to eat food. Mm. Uh, and so they would bring the food. And obviously, when the food comes, the, the animal would salivate. Right. Right. But if you ring a bell, if you play a sound. Right. You actually, if you do it at the same time or close in time, it could be seconds. You could salivate from that, that sound. So what just you've done, yeah. yeah, just the bell. And what is the meaning of the bell? The bell right. has no meaning, but you pair right. it with the sound. Now, what you just did right. is that you made the brain more sensitive to True. the bell. Yeah, for sure. Right? Now, what's interesting is people showed, uh, Dr. Donald, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Heb, Heb, Hebbian plasticity had shown that you have these brain changes that are happening in a paired, in a paired modality. So now let's take it one step further coming into the future with bimodal neuromodulation. If you have a tinnitus sound, your goal is to shift the awareness and the meaning of what you care about in the world away ah, from that tinnitus right. sound. 
Okay. So what would you do? The logical thing is, well, why not make the brain exercise to become more sensitive to many other sounds? Yeah. yeah now, sure. ideally, if you could figure out what the cells are, those neurons and the sound specifically, but it's tough because tinnitus, even though we say it's oh high frequency, it's not really just high frequency. It's more, um, uh, de- uh, more complex of a sound, right? Right, right, but, right. But still, if you can stimulate enough diversity of stimuli, then, and you stimulate the tongue or the body, right? Some kind of paired modality. What you do is you suddenly tell your brain, I'm going to play this sound and I zap your tongue. And then your brain goes, oh, wow. Why is my tongue being stimulated? Ah. That's interesting. Mm. And so your brain, you're forcing your brain subconsciously almost even, right? You don't have to focus on that. And you don't have to mentally, manually try to do that. And then you do another sound. So what you're doing is you're almost doing like a CBT, right? Right. But your in brain. a much accelerated way <laughs> that enables it, right? So if you do both together, right. you might be able to actually, um, uh, you know, enhance uh, these effects, benefits. right? It, it's a, it's an op- opportunity. So that's the idea. So I, I wouldn't think of it more we're trying to shut down the tinnitus as we are trying to make your brain more sensitive to other things so that indirectly it's no longer sensitive to your tinnitus. It doesn't mean it's gone, but it means that um, you're more easily a way to ignore or not be paying attention to it. So that's the, that's kind of the concept, right? Fan- fantastically interesting because <laughs> I think it goes so much with that um, on top approach of CBT, which is ACT, right? Acceptance and commitment. The yes, um, the 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 possibility for you to be able to focus on a hundred thousand sensations and things at the same time, and yet through this selective attention you have created around tinnitus or for that matter, yes. uh, many other things that you treat with acceptance and commitment, insomnia, spider phobia, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Did you create such a selective attention that that vicious cycle continues itself and subconsciously you can't even stop um, taking note of your tinnitus continuously uh, um, um, uh, comparing it to the sound of your shower, whether you've heard yes. it last morning when you turn on the coffee machine, whether you've been noting it when you sat down to read the newspaper in the morning and that continuous looking for, sorry for that, uh, that continuous looking for the tinnitus that reinforces the negative feelings yes. that, uh, that, that come up continuously confirm your negative thoughts and emotions and keep you keep you locked in that uh, in that spiral and and that's especially what I also try to to do in my in my coachings in my program that's actually by by accident sort of found it that people have the possibility to focus on so many other things and and be really able to experience them much more clearly and as soon as they're able I, I compare it my my metaphor would be when you move to a new place and there's a train running close by yes And at night, you won't be able to sleep because your brain is like, there's something going on. It's dangerous. Yes. Five nights into it, you sleep like a baby. You never hear the train yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. Knows that train's not dangerous. But yes. you continue to associate the train with something dangerous. Let's say your, your, your relative or your dog or something was run over by a train. That's drastic. But let's assume yeah. the train is a completely different level of danger to you. And that will probably take much longer to get used to. And it's similar with tinnitus, right? If you continuously have the idea, you're reading in online forums, your ENT tells you there's nothing you can do. And you continuously fuel that cycle of anxiety 
and 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 so create a selective attention that only leads to a near or full-blown panic attack, then of course your subconscious will continuously keep looking for that because that's one of the biggest threats that you're facing in every moment. And of course, people will not be able to sleep, be able to work or really productively or or, or living their life in a normal way. So wow, that's fantastic. I did I did not um did not uh, understand the mechanism that, that uh, clearly yet. And I hope that the listeners have been able to understand it too now. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and the way you describe it is very on point. Uh, I appreciate your descriptions of that because you hit on many key points there. And, and just for your audience, just to take it one step further, you know, let's say that Pavlov's dog, right? I don't know what color the dog was or what kind of dog. Maybe it was a German <laughs> shepherd. Uh, but let's say that dog had tinnitus, right? right? And was suffering from tinnitus. Right. Now the food comes in and you play this bell. You know what the dog's going to focus on? It's not the tinnitus. It's going to focus on the bell because it wants to eat sure. the food. Goes and then actually, yeah. and almost, right. you know, yes, the tinnitus bothers, but the dog is probably thinking, where is that bell? Now, yeah. we don't want the bell to become now the new tinnitus, right? So yeah. you can't just do the bell. And actually, in, if you read these papers over 100 years ago, and I recommend people to look at translations of Pavlonian's paper, it wasn't actually mm. a bell. The bell somehow became the canonical, you know, the kind of the symbolic right. thing. It was actually right. many other different stimuli. And actually, the, the person bringing the food, walking up the stairs, the dog, it, it was several seconds, you know, 10 seconds earlier, the yeah. dog was super sensitive to the staircase walking sound, right? So it tells right. you that many sounds. And so when the stair, stair steps happen, the dog would salivate, right? But the dog is now looking for all these different sounds and probably right. would not care about, about the, the tinnitus anymore. Yeah. It's looking for that food. Yeah. You know, so this is yeah. the idea is how do you shift the brain away yeah. from what it is that you cannot break that cycle? Yeah. Now, if you stimulate the tongue, it seems, you know, people say, why the tongue? I mean, other bodies can work in my animal research, which we can get to later, or people can look it up. I just coincidentally found that the tongue and the ear, if you electrically stimulate these, um, drove some of the strongest changes in the brain. So that's why I was interested to come yeah. into the company yeah. because of that. But if you think about it, the tongue, if my tongue is stimulated when it's not, you know, like if I'm listening to sounds, I mean, my brain is going to be confused. Wow, what's going it's, on? It's, yeah. what, what's, what's going on? Why <laughs> is this, you know, and... And this yeah. is the importance. It's the, it's the intensity, the novelty. The brain needs to know that this is something I need to pay attention, whether it's for survival or it's novelty or it's some kind. And, and actually in our study in 10A2 and 10A1, we found that um, there was an adaptation of response. The brain mm -hmm. almost uh, becomes bored, uh, we, we think. And so in 10A1, huh. the data, if you look at it within the first six weeks, it went down huh. the tinnitus symptoms and there was a plateau effect. So in 10A2, which, you know, hopefully we'll publish soon, it's in review, we change the stimulation patterns, we make more diverse to change it over time. And then we got another 50% improvement in the tinnitus symptoms midway through. So this was something very exciting that starts to get at, you know, the brain needs novelty, the brain needs different inputs. Yeah. But if you keep it excited, I mean, maybe the, the dog, you know, starts getting bored of the bell. The yeah. dog gets bored of the stairs. So yeah. now, now you have to try something a little bit different, right? right. So, so this, this right. is how you keep it. And we're not, right. we're not, we're not curing tinnitus. So this is where, you know, there is going to be some amount of continuous maintenance, right? Because the brain will always keep wanting to go back to what is driving the tinnitus. And in many individuals, it might be hearing loss. So unless you, you know, fix the hearing loss, you know, this will be a continuous, you know, cycle of, you know, just making sure you maintain that, that shift away from the tinnitus. 
Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's fantastic. That's very, very, very interesting. And um, I think that um, there's so much to be found, especially also in, 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 in looking at, you know, when we, when we look at, for example, uh, soldiers who often come in with tinnitus after having fought in, and, and this is what I'm trying to make people understand, right? Your tinnitus is not only the perception of a stimulus in your auditory cortex or in the part of your brain that perceives the sound, it's you are suffering from it because you're emotionally upset about it. And in 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 and I and I guess and, and this is this is this is to be confirmed or or but my personal opinion is if the person who has been fighting in a war and the tinnitus is a result of that fight it's much worse to be suffering from tinnitus because it will always remind you of the moment when that tinnitus started, when that grenade exploded next to you and one of your mates. And that's something that is incredibly painful to go back to every single time. And of course that, that, that is probably not the only reason why, why PTSD and and tinnitus are, are, are linked in, in, in many veterans and, and um, and yet on the other side, I see many people who are fleeing Ukraine of doing a lot of um, voluntary work with refugees in the last few weeks and um, was quite involved in that here in Germany to help people there. Um, oh, that's but, wonderful, yeah, that you did that, yeah. Yeah, um, but, but you know, it almost becomes sort of a side effect. And I think over the time, we will see that people will have to deal with tinnitus coming as refugees from Ukraine. But at first, you know, they're almost seem not to care about it at first you know because i mean they've 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 gone through much worse things so at at first the tinnitus is maybe something completely you know like a byproduct almost and it mm-hmm. seems to kind of lose its importance even but i'm sure that after a period of time and and here's here's if anyone's listening who who needs and wants some support in in any kind of refugee kind of something you're you're more than welcome to to contact me i'll, I'll be i'll be happy to help and i'm sure that you guys will have some sort of um, remedy or some some place to help as well um yeah so yeah yeah and and, and that point you made about um ptsd and these other conditions yeah. right um you are right, though, because, you know, one condition can exacerbate, you know, make it more tough to deal with another condition. Sure. And this That's is sure. where I do think that um, CBT, linear, you know, sound therapy, other counseling approaches, all of this is important as a comprehensive. You know, when we say, you know, like you're going to also, uh, you know, be healthier in your body. It's not just that you run on the treadmill and that's it. I mean, you have to change right. your lifestyle. You've got to right. eat the right foods. You've got right. to, you know, sleep better. Right. It's about maintaining the homeostasis of your body in an overall healthy state, right? And so this is where, to your point, you know, there's a, a unique opportunity where ours is just one tool. It's yeah. Lanier is one tool. You yeah. know, we're we're excited about you know the, the results, uh, but it's not the end all. And and the Lanier can be combined with CBT, can be combined with other approaches that people are using for PTSD. And I think this comprehensive approach will be very powerful uh, for providing. Uh, and this is where, you know, each individual will be a little bit different. You know, they may rely on one approach a bit more than the other approach. But I think trying these, uh, and fortunately for Lanier and CBT and these other uh, methods, you know, they're not having to take a drug, you know, that, that's, mm. that's scary. Yeah. Or they don't have to yeah. do an implant in the brain yeah. that yeah. they may be a little bit nervous about. So right. these are things that they, you know, the, the bar you know, it's a little bit lower than, you know, trying to take on this huge risk or concern, right. Of the, of the side effects. 
for sure. And so what's next for you and the company? What's what, what's coming up? What what can you tell us? What 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 is the future holding up for you guys? Yeah, yeah. Well, as a scientist, that's that's a, the one question you don't want to ask a scientist because uh, you know before the end of it, you know we'd be out in outer space and and you know doing something. You know the next stage there. But you know for the company itself, uh, yeah, the biggest thing uh, one you already touched upon, but uh, one of the big things is uh, we do need to get regulatory approval. And I, I can't speak too much to 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 about you know about this in Europe. It's right. already um, approved. Um, but in the U.S. and other countries, I, you know, I received many emails and, and to your audience, I do greatly apologize if I can't get back to you quickly. Right. I, I do respond as best I can, even sometimes I have to respond some more general responses. I've had, you know, thousands of emails, uh, so imagine. it's very challenging. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is it is for me, um, you know, sad that we can't get it out and provide whether it works for everyone or not. But, you know, just to give the opportunity across different countries. So we are working hard to get this out to more people. Um, this is, you know, one goal, of course, that, that we want to. And to your point you made earlier, um, we need to continue research because, you know, we're doing one algorithm, right? But there's going to be many different algorithms. Yes. And yes. there's different yeah. people who could potentially benefit from different parameters. Right. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. I mean, we're, we're right. you know, one group and, and there's different groups trying different things. But right. there's going to be a lot of opportunity to try different patterns that could then benefit different subgroups right more than others and i do think this is a unique opportunity i i 100 agree and I, I think that's so interesting because a patient-centered care that is individualized for example let's say that one person has a combination of um, uh, ptsd and uh, tinnitus and uh, it's been really working well that they did a new I've, I've seen a lot of research on for example ketamine treatments or psychedelic treatments mm -hmm. advancing a mm -hmm. lot especially in the US and I think that's yes. fantastic because yes I, I I love the Tim Ferriss podcast and he's talked so much about this kind of research and I I think mm -hmm. it's fantastic and I I believe that uh, that patient-centered care that you see okay let's let's try and treat his uh, therapy resistant depression with ketamine because it works it seems to work well with that person and let's try to add linear to the picture because we're able to really reduce his tinnitus severity as well and within two to six months you can have a whole whole new person that can contribute in society that can be there for his family that can take care of his kids and really you know really right. get back to society because we were able to extend the help and we extending the hand and helping that person to really come back to 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 their life and to really helping them back up and And, and this is something that I wanted to ask you as well is probably mm -hmm. something that that is big because I've had a lot of people asking me this question as well. How do you see the relationship between tinnitus and COVID? Is it one that we see? Because, you know, I've, I've tried to tell the people we see that 20%, one in five people eventually develop tinnitus, sometimes even mm -hmm. often, right? So it's in, in, in incredibly difficult to say now that pretty much everyone in our society has had COVID or is getting COVID. That's right. See, is that person really suffering from tinnitus because of COVID or is that just incidentally happening at exactly the same time? So just if you don't mind, uh, if you have any kind of idea on this topic, I would love for you to share it. Uh, oh, Frieda, you, you, you really said um, that the key point is that um, so many people yeah. have had COVID now yeah. um, and yeah it's really hard to dissociate, you know, mm. what is uh, COVID, what is by chance. Um, one thing that is happening uh, that we all have to be aware of is something you may know called long COVID. Mm. So my lab, uh, one third of my lab, I, I do COVID research. 
Okay. Uh, we, we developed treatments for COVID, uh, neuromodulation treatments. So I've been tracking this field. Um, but there is long COVID, and these are things that happen, you know, later on after you've somewhat, you know, come come from the majority of the severe yeah. infection, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because there was a paper out in Nature, uh, a very prominent, uh, you know, a paper that was published just recently, and they had a table listing um, all the symptoms and conditions related to long COVID, and they listed tinnitus <laughs> and hearing mm. loss. Mm. Um, and I tried to look for the references mm. and data to support this. Mm. So mm. somehow there is a feeling mm. that tinnitus and uh, hearing loss are, are associated, uh, are, are associated um, mm. but I think we have to be very careful because the data is not so clean to make that clear causal, Connection. right? The key yeah. thing is causal. Is yeah. it causally related? Yeah. And that's the part that um, I, I'm just being a little bit cautious. I, I'm not saying... Right. It isn't true, but there's also another factor. People have been more isolated. And when you're Absolutely. more isolated, you notice you have more hearing loss, or you might notice that you have tinnitus. And, and this then becomes, you know, some kind of um, subjective awareness and then more documentation. So yeah. th there's a lot of factors, but I, I wouldn't say no, but I wouldn't yeah. say yes. I think yeah. more research is needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it is, we, we do need to then um, try to uh, help the community um, to do things that th there are treatments out there for yeah. COVID, you know, we have yeah. the vaccines, we've got yeah. therapeutics. Yeah. Um, and then also just being more uh, aware of when, when to intervene. So some of these long COVID effects don't persist. Right. So right. Th these are right. things that uh, I think we have to be aware of. Yeah. It's, it's the thing with tinnitus. Some topics are, are discussed with a dogmatic almost like so it's so yeah it's so yeah. difficult to navigate through that especially as, as someone who uh, runs a community single-handedly you know so i I'm, I'm just trying to tell the people you know the, the 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 big problem here is that we have these massive large numbers both in 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 cases in covid and also in cases of tinnitus that would have happened even without covid and we yeah, know that yeah. they would have happened without yes. covid because the prevalence of tinnitus was one in five anyways beforehand. That's or even right. One That's in right. four now. So, you know, it's it's so incredibly difficult when when topics become discussed quite emotionally and 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 even even people are very sure about the position. But um, I'm, I'm sure that's something that you guys also deal with uh, sometimes. Yeah. Um, Okay, I want to um, uh, thank you already very much, uh, Hubert. It was a fantastic, um, a fantastic interview. Is there there anything that you that you would continue to like to share? Because I think um, it has been uh, fantastic to have you on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure, and um, I would very much look forward to a round two of this. Either as soon as you guys have the um, the uh, FTA certification in your hand, because I know it, it can't be too long. If you if you have gone through the certification of the two A product here in Europe, then, uh, I mean, then this uh, device is more than more than proven to safely be be labeled as a as a product that can be can be used. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and I would like to know, do you have anything else that you want to share with the, the listeners as uh, of today? Yeah, yeah, Frida, thank you for having me. Um, you know, it's, it's always an honor to be on these types of podcasts for individuals who are really helping the community. Uh, so, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. And also, you know, I, I, I do hope um, the information is helpful for others. You know, I, I know there could be uh, some sense. I am part of the company and, and there is some kind of uh, some people may wonder if, if I'm biased, but, you know, I am speaking. Hopefully it, it came off that, you know, I'm presenting it from a scientific view of, of what I view, you know, happening 
uh, with bimodal. I'm not just saying linear treatment, I'm saying bimodal neuromodulation in general. Um, I, I will say also that um, there are, even though it may seem um, a little bit challenging with tinnitus, uh, there's so many, it's not just our group, there's so many great scientists, researchers, clinicians who are working day and night to try 100%. to find new opportunities. There's individuals yes. like yourself yes. uh, that are going out of their way to really find opportunities. So I, I do feel there's more awareness for tinnitus. There wasn't as much, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, right now, there's much more awareness. There's more media, these podcasts and what, you know, Ben Thompson and others are doing. Uh, it's really helping to create a movement. And I do think we're going to find better and more options um, in upcoming years, uh, not just linear, but other methods that people are going to be able to get their hands on and try it and just have more opportunities for helping their tinnitus. So I want to say optimistic with that. I, I, I do think things are moving up in the right direction. So I, I want to leave a positive note with that to your audience. I 100% I agree. You know, I mean, at least the fact that people feel like more treatments and more things are coming on and these podcasts and there's uh, so many people who really try to care and there's, there's not enough help yet, but it's getting better and better. And just the feeling alone that there are people who are putting their work and, and their passion into these, this field and not only in research, but also, you know, to maybe make people feel a little bit more that they are not completely left alone for, That's right. for, uh, to, to let left out in the dark with with no remedies at all and and people will more and more hopefully start turning from these negative doomy forums to actively looking to how can i overcome this position how can i That's right. move forward and and claim my old life back it it might be many different forms right and we've we've talked about the the product that you guys have but it might be in many different ways it might be through many different combinations of things but in the end it's important that a person does not have to grapple with a condition like tinnitus for the rest of his, of their life and to really find a way ahead. And, and, and for that, I, I would, yeah, again, like to, to thank you very much. I have one last request for, uh, for you, um, yeah. which, which I love to ask sometimes. It's uh, 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 frequently also the last question that Tim Ferriss asks in his podcast. And in, uh, you might you might take, uh, if you want to, 10 to 20 seconds to think about this answer. But if you had the possibility to hang up a billboard on Times Square, yeah, and, and where thousands of people would see it every day and they, you know, they would walk by and they would see a big billboard with one sentence that you could put out there for the world that would say something to really, you know, really that, that, that comes from your heart that you want people to know or hear or see, what might that sentence be? Do you have an idea? I just thought of it right now, but it's something that I feel uh, passionate about. Um, okay. I could imagine, uh, and I'm going on the fly thinking about this, sure. uh, you show a world, uh, uh, the earth, like a zoomed out version of, of the earth. Yeah. And then you show lots of diverse people um, mm -hmm. all holding hands around there. And mm -hmm. then just the saying on top of the earth, you are not alone. I think awesome. that will enable people to understand that um, you know, you really are because during COVID, you know, a lot of times people just feel that they're alone and they're not. I mean, everybody, there's somebody out there that can help them. There's somebody out there who's feeling the same experiences as they do. Sure. So I, I, I would do something like that. Uh, uh, maybe someone will create that and it'll be on a billboard one day. And then on the bottom.
Fernando say Hubert thought of this. No, I think, <laughs> so, you know, I, I if, if it's anything at all, then what we need at these times, especially also with what's going on in Ukraine, it's about 800 kilometers from here. So it's uh, more than close to home. What's happening in Ukraine at the moment is that we all, um, and this is the one positive thing that I'm taking from it, that we're all moving one step closer. Everyone apart from yep. Russia is moving one step closer to each other. We, yes. we renovate ties with neighboring countries. We, intensify our friendships and relationships and and we really understand that we're coming out of a very difficult politically but also out of a pandemic yes. that is still lasting of course but that we that we we, we get a new chance almost so i'm yes i i'm confident that this is by all means it's the most terrible thing that can happen if there is a war going on and there's many wars going on still unfortunately in, on the earth but at least if there is one at least one inch of a silver lining then it is that the rest of the world is cl moving closer together which is i think very important um yeah very well said yeah so fantastic on your billboard i hope that will put up <laughs> at some point it's been a fantastic interview um uh, hubert thank you so much for your time i know it's very valuable we really appreciate that here and for your work again and um for coming onto the show today Thank you. Thank you. And, and have a good day. My morning is starting now. So uh, it was a great discussion and, and, and I'm, I'm very excited and positive uh, for the day to proceed <laughs> thank, now. <laughs> thank you for, for getting up so early for us today, Hubert. That, that is really very much appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Have a good day. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Outring Tinnitus podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it and it helps you on your way towards your best life despite tinnitus. If you'd like access to our exclusive online tinnitus membership community where you can access weekly videos tons of content around the topics of tinnitus and sleep acceptance and commitment and how cognitive behavioral therapy can help you to finally break the vicious cycle of suffering from your tinnitus yeah just really build your best life despite tinnitus then please head over to www.mytinnitus.club where we have weekly events you have the possibility to engage with other members share your progress throughout taking courses of the Outring Tinnitus online coaching program and really start living your best life again check it out under www.mytinnitus.club and I'll see you in the next podcast episode Thank you very much for listening to the Outring Tinnitus podcast. I am looking forward to also welcome you on my website at outringtinnitus.com or if you have any questions, please mail to frida at outringtinnitus.com. See you next time.